0: Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. In this episode, we chat with Matthew Safaib, the founder and managing partner of Arrowroot Capital Management, which is a growth equity firm based in Marina Del Rey, California. The firm invests in growing and healthy, recurring revenue, software as a service, and internet based businesses. Recently, Matthew launched Arrowroot Acquisition, a $250 million SPAC, which focuses on enterprise software. Matthew was recently named a Top 25 Investor of 2020 by GrowthCap. He began his investing career at Platinum Equity and subsequently TA Associates in the Boston and London offices. He also served as a Managing Director and Head of Acquisitions at Actua. Matthew graduated from Boston College and holds an MBA from the Wharton School. We hope you enjoy the show. Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, delighted to chat with you today. Maybe for the benefit of our audience, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself as well as uh, Arrowroot.
1: Sure, sure. Thanks for having me on. So, my name is Matthew Safai, founder of Arrowroot Capital. We can get into Arrowroot in a bit, but background entrepreneur, investor, I started some internet companies back in the dot-com days and other things, but but most of my career has been an investor, specifically around enterprise software. So I started my career at Platinum Equity, and then TA Associates, mostly in the London office, and then ICG, the old internet capital group, which you could say is the first institutional investor that's specifically focused on SaaS ever, web-distributed mm-hmm. um, software, and then started uh, Arrowroot, which officially January 1st, 2014. And then I can go into air route for a little bit.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, one of the interesting things is you kind of got started. I I feel like, you know, looking at your background, you kind of ramped quickly in terms of coming out of college, out of the gates, go to platinum, then TA, then B school, and all the way to starting your own fund, which happened probably at a fairly young age for you. You always have it in mind when you were in undergrad that you wanted to kind of, you know, steer your career towards private equity and growth? Yeah, so
1: I always an entrepreneur and I knew at a young age that I, I could be happy at, at a larger firm and doing my job. But I knew I wasn't going to be 100% happy with 100% certainty unless I was my own boss. And that was always the case. And the way I got to know the sort of buy side investment world was starting my own company and then looking for VC dollars back when I was in college. And I went through that whole process. And, and my brother was actually a banker, software banker through the dot com days at CIBC Oppenheimer at the time in the software group. He was trying to get into the box side as well. I saw all of that. And then so I sort of just took the looking for money into a career or at least positions and at the software House, how I was able to circumnavigate going to banking.
0: Mm-hmm. And I remember speaking with you, this is going back several years ago. And I, I think we were talking about a specific deal, and you had quickly honed in on how to optimize the structure for that deal. And I, was, I came away pretty impressed because in a very short call, you were able to kind of dissect the deal and the best kind of solution and structure for the deal. Is that something you picked up at Platinum or TA? Kind of, Where do you think the, that kind of capability comes from?
1: I think the Venn diagram is actually a threefold. One is the platinum equity, the deep value structure, you know, what they're famous for being deal guys there. Then it was TA, which was growth. You're all about managing teams and your growth. And then it was being, I have been a management team member myself. And so putting those all together, I think we can think like a VC, like a growth equity firm. We could think like a private equity firm. We could think like a lender, but we're all about growth and we're all making sure that we're aligned with management. And so we'll come up with really interesting structures, whereas, you know, not a knock to other firms, but other firms have rules, right? And they need a certain amount of annual recurring revenue, certain growth rates, certain profitability metrics, et cetera, et cetera. And one size, I don't think fits all, especially in enterprise software. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so now let's uh, go right into Arrowroot and kind of what you had in mind when you were setting up the firm and kind of the types of deals that you've invested in. And then after we cover that, we can talk about the SPAC.
1: Yeah. So while at ICG, I was talking to a lot of enterprise software and CEOs and founders, and we were looking to acquire near-break-even SaaS businesses. And I was doing that for five years. I ran the m and group there. And I found out that they were near-break-even because the past investors were tapped as capital. Maybe they didn't have any more debt capacity, whatever it might be. But if you dig into the numbers, the metrics were great. Pension rates were awesome, multi-year contracts, big customers, a new product... But they were slow growers. And the reason they are slow growers was because if you only have enough money to have five salespeople and they have $500,000 quotas, the fastest you're going to grow is $2.5 million. It's not like a B2C type company. You know, the enterprise, there's salespeople, there's quotas, and that's it. It's a math problem. And so I was trying to buy these companies and are looking at buying these companies. And I was talking to the founders and they said, I don't want to sell right now. In fact, it's working. If I had $15 million, I can go from five salespeople to 15 salespeople. This would be a home run in three years. And they're right. And they're really, at the time, there wasn't a real investment firm focusing just on that because it was too slow for VC. It was too small for traditional growth equity. And the CEOs, they wanted to keep going. They didn't want to sell to Pete. And so we came up with Arrowroot to fill that void and really be a growth equity firm that can solve things for CEOs.
0: And, and typically, the rub with these CEOs is if they're a slow grower, they're going to have to give up a fair amount of equity. And so, were you able to kind of help again, given your background as a former kind of management team member and operator? Were you able to kind of solve solve for that? We have to, yeah,
1: because if you don't, you're misaligned, and misalignment, spring, you can be paralyzed. You're in for a long, awful marriage if you're getting married to someone for different reasons, right? And so, what we do is we work with management. I mean, we always say this, and I mean this endearingly to all other investors. We like other investors. We love management team. We love Arrowroot. And we'll figure out what's the right exit. Where are we going to exit CEO? Okay. Edwards. Okay. That's great. Okay. We're going to make a return here then. Well, let's just make sure that you have enough proceeds of the exit here that we're aligned. That if we get there, you're going to sell. And it might be a bell cover probability, right? There's a bad outcome, but you will accept it. He or she will accept it. There's an awesome outcome. And we all high five and get beers, but we make sure that we're aligned for that. And so through that, we're re optioning management teams, putting in carve outs, or putting in a smaller amount of capital instead of a large that they're trying to get stuffed down our throat by, by large growth equity. Mm-hmm.
0: And now you're, I believe, seven to eight years into Arrowroot. How has it gone? I mean, tell us about building the firm. I mean, I imagine in the early days you were a smaller group of people, and along the way you started hiring kind of at each of the different levels. How's that gone? Where's the challenge been? Yeah. So
1: I started Arrowroot by myself, and then the first He's a VP and I became a partner, and really is my co-founder for all kinds of purposes. It's Kareem El-Sawi. and he came on six months after, right after we did, I did the first deal with an associate who was more like an intern at the time. If I had to give advice to anybody starting a firm, I would say it's a binary outcome, right? Like it's either to be very successful or maybe won't work and get off the ground. If I had to do it over again, I would have had um, a peer, an equal off the bat that I trust in and. Because economics are obviously very good in private equity. And if you're successful, there's enough to go around. And I think it was a little bit of arrogance and ignorance to start this by myself. But we got a lot of luck and a great market and a good investment thesis and some great investors. And then as we grew, we hired awesome people, people from my past at the senior level that we knew and and awesome CEOs. And and we treated them well and to their good references. And it was very circular, circular reference, right? good LPs, good deals, good CEOs, reference pool, sourcing, etc. And then in terms of where we are and what we're looking at, the market has really come to us. There's a lot larger enterprise software companies, a lot of institutional money into enterprise software companies. I used to say for every deal we have, there's always a Vista, Toma, Clear Lake, K1, Saren, TA, Simon, Journal, Atlantic, Orbit, because you can go on forever right, and say that, that one of their portfolio companies would acquire this business, right? And that was probably five years ago. It's changed. Every one of their funds has a company that would probably buy this company now. And so the exit environment has just gotten so, so much better. And so I think the market has come to us and we're really hitting
0: our stride. And uh, why go the SPAC route versus raise another fund? Or maybe you're doing that in parallel. But uh, what really prompted you? Obviously, the windows open, but what really kind of put you over the edge and saying, yeah, let's let's put a SPAC out there?
1: Yeah. So, um, all right. So what we, we probably are taking a little bit different view on SPACs. So SPACs traditionally have been one person who had a massive exit. They get a great board around. They're looking for a deal. And they will probably roll up their sleeves and run the deal. It's turned now into that plus their sponsors that are backing SPACs. And maybe one-off. We're taking the approach of this is another product on our platform. We are raising our funds. We're maintaining our growth equity strategy, but what happened probably about five months ago is that a subset of our deal flow, because we're dealing with ten to two hundred million dollars ARR companies for our our growth equity side, a subset of our sourcing started looking at SPACs, and then a subset of our portfolio started looking at SPACs. And I think it's a big conflict of interest if big private equity is doing SPACs. There's a conflict there inherent. For us, there is none. We do ten to fifty million dollar equity checks in the growth equity or we have a SPAC name, And we looked at the public markets. There's about 2% of public companies are enterprise software companies. Enterprise software touches GDP. We think that's just wrong. There should be a lot more. And as a lot of public investors have, have made a lot of money off of the Twilio, Zoom, Datadog, Snowflakes, they're going to rotate their capital out of that into the next $1 to $3 billion type business. So will turn into the next $10 billion business. Lastly, there are a lot of $1 to $3 billion companies in TA or Francisco or General Atlantic or Warburg, and they're selling it to each other, right? Private equity is the best performing asset class of all time, period. Why shouldn't the public markets get involved in that? There's high quality $1 to $3 billion companies stuck in 10-year funds. And I think that they're starting to now. So I don't think specs are going to go away. So instead of raising a larger fund, well, this is a new product on our platform.
0: And so is it something you think you can prove out in a fairly short amount of time? You probably have some, the infrastructure built in, right, to go out and find the appropriate target and, and consummate the, the transaction. Yeah,
1: you know, you asked why not a fund or, or maybe a fund. And a fund, it can take 18 months to raise, right? And you have to deal with LPs and, and we're going to keep doing on the growth equity side, but it takes time and there's rules, there's only 25% of the fund can be outside the US or 20% into one company and you have to get approval for this or that and you have to get all the LPs, you have to let them know what's happening at all times. That's private equity, it's a private equity world I know. SPACs, I mean, we're high quality SPAC, right? Because there's a lot of non-high quality SPACs out there. It was a high demand, let's just put it that way. we got high quality investors, we probably zeroed out 50 investors. I mean, it was, I don't want to get into it because of public company issues here, but we raised it in a day. I mean, the process took months to set up, but then we raised this back in the day. We had to get a deal. We had to get it approved and de-stack. But it was much easier Mm -hmm. than a Mm fundraiser for private equity.
0: And for those in our audience who may not be as familiar with the dynamics in the capital markets, the reason or the speed in which you were able to raise that capital was because there's a lot of public money out there. The large institutions, the large asset managers have... Kind of the capacity to deploy more into the private, the private quasi-private. quasi-private. You know, yeah, and what they want to do is the the investors. If you get the good
1: investors in your stack, they're going to be the very large asset managers. And we raised two fifty with the green shoe; it was two ninety. So you're going to have a fifteen million dollar investor in there. That's from somebody that is managing mass amounts of money. They don't care about that fifteen million dollars. They want the pipe. Right. They want to put $50 million with you or 75 or $100 in plus into your pipe and hold it for seven years. And that's their play in enterprise software in this specific sector. Mm-hmm. Right, It's a free option for them, right? but they really want the pipe and they want massive amounts of money, large amounts of money, comparable to the deals we're doing. We're looking at a 70 to $200 million plus AR companies around that billion dollar enterprise value business and companies that can take on... Two hundred million dollars on the balance sheet and grow. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, do you think if this one happens, it's off and running? You can, you know, go to the next kind of SPAC. Is that the idea? So you have kind of a, a nice sequence of of SPACs you can put out into the market.
1: We have to land this one, and that's what we told investors. We got proved out. We have to land it. We have to do a deal, and, and you know, they put money with us to do a deal and a good deal in as short a period as possible, time period as possible, and that's what we told them we could do. If we land it, though, then I think there is, and the market's open, which I think it will be, and SPACs will be around some capacity, then the idea, yeah, it's probably to, hopefully, it keep going. And then there's a question of, is enterprise software too wide? I think there's room to do a fintech one, or a cybersecurity one, or whatever it might be, and we certainly see the deal flow. Mm-hmm. There's enough high-quality companies.
0: And for other fund managers out there like you, know, I'm sure they're intrigued. I'm sure they've also explored this route, but... How do you kind of think about the economics of it as as the kind of sponsor? Like this is kind of, you know, kind of going deal by deal versus having 10, 12 investments in one fund where they kind of, you know, some can cancel each other out and and therefore dilute the overall fund returns. But how do you think about it? Are you are you a lot more kind of jazzed about kind of the SPAC economics? If we're successful,
1: it's pretty lucrative, but you have to. It's very delicate dealing with your LPs as well, right? You don't want to keep your eyes off the ball at all. And yet, you know, most of my, majority of my time is still on the fund, right? And managing error route. And so this is a one-off deal. We did hire somebody to be full-time, Tom Olivier, the 22-year banker from a Loki software banker to run it. And we did tell our LPs, this is the person that's really going to be managing it on a day-to-day basis. Our deal flow here is, it's our automatic and in fact, we're actually getting more deals from the SPAC that's so visible that's actually going over to the private equity side, which is interesting. So I would just be careful if you have a nice franchise and a fund to do a SPAC, it would have to fit in the platform and I would get the buy-in from the LPs. You can, the risk capital portion of it, right, which is a certain percentage of what you're raising, that pays for the bankers and lawyers and NASDAQ filing fees, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, some sponsors have actually put the money in themselves and LPs don't like it. And then you could put it all from your fund. So you're aligned with your investors and LPs like that more. And we were in the latter camp. So they're getting a taste of it as well. But one thing we did actually do as well, and I don't think this is giving up saying too much, but we we treat it as a co-invest for our LPs. So there is no carried interest because we're already making, it would be like double-feeing them because we're already making sponsor fees in the SPAC.
0: Got it. It, A couple of things. Maybe we could head into... Whenever I talk to Esther, I'm always interested in helping our audience better understand what differentiates them. Obviously, we talked earlier on about structuring and being founder or, or management team friendly. But what about the operational and, and strategy end? You obviously have a kind of a an initiative within the firm that helps companies scale. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So we're lucky in that we do one thing, right? It's growth in enterprise software. And it doesn't matter if it's inside sales or outside sales or channel sales, right? That It doesn't matter what subsector of enterprise, edtech, govtech, compliance, tech, whatever it might be, there's a right way to scale your sales team, right? From lead generation through upsells and renewals. And so you get this capital. Usually the company is well capitalized, but not capitalized enough to tackle what was, the growth potential it has. So it's got to hire, right? So we have a recruiting team right? Usually hiring a new CRO or VP of sales or head of marketing, and then salespeople and maybe VDRs. And we have a a team led by Abby Wilson, and she runs that and and we hire internally, which is extremely... It's really value-add, right? I mean, we'll start putting posts up when we're in exclusivity before the deals post to try to get good people in there as fast as possible. I think that's a bit differentiated. Our strategic resources team, the operations team, it's run by Clem O'Donnell. And he was the co-founder and founding CTO of WageWorks, which was a big outcome, right? He was a paper to public. And he helps out companies with hosting and R&D, get cheaper hosting, AWS or Azure, and what's the right package to buy, etc., etc. And then there's R&D. Maybe you want to offshore it. There's a proper way to do it. There's a lot of options to do there. So there's R&D and operational efficiencies. There's hiring the right people to grow. And then it's helping people scale up the sales team. So you buy your leads from this five things. Well, actually, your last one isn't really generated sales. Let's just turn that off. Your salespeople, let's put up geographies this way. I mean, there's a right and wrong way to do it. I wouldn't want to say we have a playbook because that's sort of a bad word nowadays. But there is a right and wrong way. We always say, your industry, we lean on you, management teams. But for the web distributed model and scaling that, lean on us. And we do roll up our sleeves and help them out in minority or majority. And then typically, we're, we're actually we're always partnering up with management teams. And so we are acting like partners right off the bat.
0: A couple questions I'd like to end on. One is, can you tell us about a challenging time you faced? You've worked for other firms, you've built your own. Can you tell us about a challenging time, one where maybe you were losing sleep, you were thinking nonstop about this particular thing, but you were able to overcome it. And when you look back on it, you say, wow, like I've grown a lot because I dealt with that and came out the other side.
1: Sure. So early days, it's sort of a funny story, but it's a great bad genre thing here. But in early days, when we were an emerging manager and Kareem and I were we we're doing smaller deals and we were raising money from whoever we could, right? We, we had a deck and we we're passing a hat around. We had STDs for each deal, and, and including a small fund. And in one of our deals... Someone who had a half million dollars. I mean, we were doing small deals, right? And sub five million dollar deals. A half million dollar investor. When we're in definitive docs to close the deal, pulled out. We didn't have the money for lawyers, I mean, we were just freaking out. Me, it was, it was <laughs> and we went home and we talked what we we're going to do. The next morning, I sat there and I literally from nine to noon started texting. It was a good deal. And we knew it. Texting business school friends, <laughs> and I was saying. You trust me, right? Just listen to me. 50k, 25k, 100k, and we raised 500k. I raised 500k off of text messages in three hours. They made two times their money in six months in that deal, and I was just wow. I was wowed by that, and it was wowed by the trust they had in me. I was don't give up type stuff, so you know cheesy stuff like that. And we got the deal done, and it was a great deal. Funny story: three years later, we sold that company, and three years later, two years later, I was with that CEO. And we're having drinks. Uh, I was in a town, and, and I said, "I just want to let you know, we didn't have the money." And the reason, he goes, "I knew you're tapped I, I just knew it. I knew it."
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's incredible. You know, the popular thing that people say out there these days is people overestimate what you can accomplish in a year, but underestimate what you can accomplish in ten years, and, and it just it proves out with your experience and the spack, you know, being few hundred million, it's crazy. So, you know, think back at a $500,000 hole. I mean, a $500,000
1: hole, and we've raised it over 25, 50K increments, and now we're um, obviously bigger, and we're growing, and and the rate of change is awesome, and we're doing it in a a correct way, I think a non-aggressive way. We're really, we're growing because we're dealing with what the market's throwing at us and the team we have, so, you know, we're very lucky.
0: Last question this might go towards how you've been able to steer your career and how you operate today, but is there someone along the way that you've worked with that you've really admired and you think about as you make decisions or you're in those tight spots, you think like, oh, what would this person do? Or or in general, just helps you as you think about your vision and, and where you're heading with your fund or your platform. Yeah,
1: there's several, right? But I would say one that is Walter Buckley, who was the founder of Internet Capital Group. There is nobody that will say a bad thing about Buck. He's helped people, generous. He's a man of his word, always backing management teams. I, one time I was on a call with the CEO and it was at ICG and we were negotiating and this was a line from, well, it, it just made me feel like I was sort of mirroring Buck and how he was. But we're negotiating Defendive Docs and it was a CEO that's never done before. And he goes, Matt, I don't understand this term what should I say here? This is CSM and I'm negotiating. I go, you should say X. And I say Y, let's just meet in the middle. All right. And he goes, sounds great to me. And I was like, Oh, I got this guy's trust. And that's just from being referenceable. It's a long-term greedy attitude. And, and it's, it means a lot. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm older, Buckley. Mm-hmm. got it. Was there another one you wanted to mention or you just Buck? Yeah. I mean, just probably
1: Buck. I mean, there's another person at TA who actually was my, my business school essay. And they said, who would you want to be when you get older type of stuff? And I remember being an associate and working on a deal. And they came back to us and they wanted to negotiate the terms. They said, we got to talk tonight. And I ran over to his office. His name is Ken Scicciano. I hope he doesn't mind me saying. He doesn't mind me saying his name. But he said, uh, I go, we got to do this call tonight, 9 o'clock. We got to go with a banker. that you want to talk? And he goes, no, I can't. I got to go home. I, I, I promised my boy I'd read him a book before he goes to bed. And I was, that's funny. <laughs> like, haha, okay, great. Let's do it. And he said, no, he said, he'll be fine, Seppo. He'll be fine. And besides the family stuff, which is the most important stuff, made me realize, like, calm down. It's going to be fine. Calm down. It was a good lesson.
0: It's a great note to end on, kind of the balance of kind of being a veteran in, in the world or having a little bit more experience and, and having that balance to impart on someone coming up the ranks. So, Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, really appreciate it. And I know our audience will find some. Uh, thanks for having me on.